0: Cracks. Today,
1: we're talking with Karen Kleiman, who is a well-known international maternal mental health expert with over 30 years of experience. In 1988, Karen founded the Postpartum Stress Center, a treatment and training facility for prenatal and postpartum depression and anxiety disorders, where she treats individuals and couples. Today, we're discussing her book, Good Moms Have Scary Thoughts, a healing guide to the secret fears of new mothers. Karen, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you, Rebecca.
1: So um, what got you involved in uh, treating postpartum and and prenatal anxiety and depression?
2: You know, I haven't yet figured out the best soundbite to answer that question. I often feel like I'm disappointing people when I say that I didn't have postpartum depression or anxiety or prenatal postpartum depression or anxiety. But um, what happened thirty five years ago was there weren't a lot of people to talk to about these things and, and I, I had a couple experiences. I had a medical issue when I was breastfeeding my second child and had some other things where where I thought, where do I go? Who do I talk to? And I I remember I, I actually literally remember the moment where I where I was sitting there saying, you know, do I do I call my pediatrician, do I call my OB, do I call my mother in law? Do I call my didn't know, and what was missing was just sort of, the, the you know, what we have so much of now is this sort of circle or community of like-minded moms to just... Ask ask questions to, and is this okay, and is this not okay? And as I continued on, um, I wanted to learn about this. I wanted to learn about new moms and their experiences. I was, I was a therapist, you know. I was a psychology. Um, I was already practicing, and and so I started asking women, and I eventually put out an ad in the local paper that said anybody experiencing depression and anxiety after childbirth um, should contact me. I was doing some research. I called it research at the time. I thought that would make me sound more important, you know. And I (laughs) I got three responses. And from these three women, two of them were over 70 years old. And to this day, it gives me the chills to tell this story. And I tell this story because these two women who were 70 years old told me that I was the first person that they had talked to about 50 years ago when they felt sadness and shame and guilt and despair and didn't tell anyone how bad they were feeling because similar to today there were expectations that new mothers feel you know only joy and and so they suffered in silence and and shared with me similar stories that i was hearing from from moms you know at the time and it and it just was astounding to me that women can hold on to this level of suffering and pain for so long and then continue to function and function well and eventually and eventually get past it and that, that's really what drove me not only to to continue to study it but also to believe that that I should be doing this, you know, that, that that for some reason these women came to me and that I need to to get the information out there so other women didn't have to suffer in silence like that. So that's that's the best way to answer the story of, of, of how did I get into it, and then I stayed in it because it is just by far the most rewarding and, and meaningful work that I've ever done. Well, you know,
1: I, I think that there are still, um, it, it's still taboo, it seems, to talk about uh, postpartum issues. It's getting a little bit better, but not all women are screened. It's not explained, um, you know, that this could happen. You know, I've had people come in to see me, and they tell me two years later that they still have the baby blues. And, you know, I try to tell them, no, that, that can't be what's still happening. There's something else, um, you know, and I... And, um, I, I think that um, from, from this standpoint where I am, it seems that women's mental health isn't treated very seriously. Uh, you know, if you go to a doctor and they think that you're, you're exaggerating your pain, you're told you have anxiety, so that down-regulates any feelings you have anyway. And, and for me, that would make me not want to go back to that doctor if I did have anxiety and depression. So it seems like, are you seeing a lot of this kind of cycle happening?
2: Sure, we we see that a lot. I mean, like you said, Rebecca, just the word anxiety itself, uh, you know, in some way, you know, is is, can feel like a condescending label but at the same time those of us who are in the in the field understand that anxiety is very real and that it's not necessarily depending on how it's said and who it's said by it's not necessarily dismissive you know it can be when somebody says oh you're just having anxiety then you feel like you're making it up it's all in your head and you're overreacting and you're being a big baby but what we we, fat, we in fact know that anxiety you know is 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 a clinical state that can be paralyzing and crippling to to, to many women so there's education missing on both sides. You know healthcare care providers tend to be tend to be still patronizing um, and, and I agree that it's harder for women to get um, to be taken seriously for their symptoms than, than for men that's been, that's been a long time and, and women also simultaneously need to be educated and understand how much anxiety and we'll talk about this in, in detail mm-hmm. I suspect how much, how much anxiety is okay and normal and what we expect and how much anxiety you know how do we know when it's a problem how do we know if this is too much anxiety. The problem with maternal mental health, to be honest, besides those big global issues that we can't possibly fix today, wouldn't that be nice if we could fix today? But but besides the bigger sort of stigma issues and and what do we do about maternal mental health in general, you know, the day-to-day is that... That suffering is very subjective, and so what, what bothers you might not bother me, and what bothers me might not bother you, and there are lots of factors that play into that, you know, our history, our personalities, our genetics, our environment, our marriages, and things like that. So because it's subjective, you know, I say to a healthcare provider, oh, my God, I can't stand this. I can't get through the day because A, B, and C is happening, and then my health care provider might say, oh, that doesn't sound like a very big deal. Just go home. Home, have a glass of wine and you'll be fine well that's not helpful so the larger issue is we need to take these symptoms very seriously when new moms or pregnant women you know or you know yeah any women any woman obviously but in the perinatal community if they say there is something wrong then something is wrong and we need to take that very seriously and and intervene in a way that helps her get some relief
1: -hmm I, de- I definitely agree and I, I think conversations like this um, and bringing that forward and making it less taboo um, are really helpful because then it, it becomes easier to say something is
2: wrong now we have to be careful though because um, there's sort of a flip side downside to to destigmatizing, that I'm sort of watching from the outside. You know, remember who you're talking to. I'm an old person, okay? So (laughs) I've been doing this a long time, and I've seen it go from nowhere to to somewhere, you know, fairly slowly, and now we're sort of rapidly getting more information out there, more exposure, and so forth. With social media and the Internet, um, there's obviously huge plus. Side to it, and there's there's a huge downside to it. I'm a little worried about the downside. I'm a little worried about the overexposure. I'm a little worried about every single woman putting their birth experience out there for you know total reveal and total um, self disclosure and total you know here was my experience and here, here's how I asked for help and here's what I did and here's what it looked like and here's what it felt like. I'm a little worried that things are getting can get potentially. Diffuse, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. So there, there's a small subset of women who get really, really sick. Those are the women that I worry the most about, right? Are they getting the help they need? Are they saying what they need to say? Are they being heard and taken seriously? Those are the women that I worry about. Then there's this other huge subset of women that, that are talking about their pregnant and postpartum experiences and, and scaring the hell out of other women, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so so we, we have to just be mindful, and we have to take each mom, each woman who comes in front of us, those of us who are in this you know, field, and listen to what she's saying and see what it is that she needs and take her very seriously, whether she's at this end of the spectrum or at that end of the, end of the continuum, if you know what I mean.
1: So um, that being said, what is normal when you're um, going through postpartum, um, I, I, I guess, depression or anxiety or not? So what is it normal to feel like?
2: Well, okay, so let's start before postpartum depression or anxiety. When we're just talking about normal every everyday pregnancy and postpartum, you know, we do expect and, and healthcare providers are trained to... Expect a certain amount of emotional upheaval. We know that that's normal with the with the hormonal changes and the sleep deprivation and the abrupt shift and you know major life transition and so forth. So we expect there to be anxiety and some feelings of sadness and and you know sprinkled in with with the excitement. We expect that um, anxiety. I mean, I don't think there's a human being that's ever experienced anxiety, right? So we know that that's common anyway. We also know that that it's it's sort of uh, it's it's sort of adaptive. We we know that it can it can protect new parents. You know, they they worry more about their children, and it, it alerts them to to perceive danger and so forth. And so, what we say that anxiety is common, but. Anything that's common can can get in the way. Too much anxiety, too much sadness. Um, we say when we combine sadness and anxiety, we use the word distress. So we talk about perinatal distress. And the easiest way to to define when is it okay and when is it not is is if it feels so bad that you can't get through the day the way you're used to getting through the day, if it impairs functioning in some way. That's too much distress and most most people are pretty good judges of whether how they're feeling when how they're feeling is is too much you know when you're just having a bad day versus i don't feel like i can function today that's too much distress so you know again it's subjective i i see women all the time get through days and days with so much anxiety, I could not do that myself, but they do. They're used to anxiety. They know how to cope with it. They're not, they don't seem to be bothered by it like I might be, okay? But the take-home mm-hmm. point is if you're feeling so bad that the symptoms are interfering with the way, your ability to get through the day, then it's time to let somebody know how you're feeling. So
1: um, for what I'm understanding, I mean, obviously it's normal to have feelings and w- when you're pregnant and, and give birth, your hormones shift and change. And of course, especially if you're a new parent, you're going to have anxiety of, you know, am I doing this right? Am I, you know, <laughs> what's going on right. here? Um, but if it is disrupting you functioning, um, whether it's anxiety or depression right. and you're crying um, and you can't do anything else because of that or it's just overwhelming your entire life, then there's something wrong.
2: Yeah, let me give you, let me give you a concrete example. So All New Mothers Cry... We, we just know that. You know, we bring the baby home and we're crying for no reason. It's very, it's very common with the blues. It's very common with depression. It's very common without the blues or depression. New moms cry. They're overwhelmed. They're tired. They're excited. They cry. And so when we talk about levels of distress, what we're talking about is frequency, intensity, and duration okay frequency intensity duration all new mothers cry how much are they is she crying how uh, how often is it happening and how long has this been going on okay those are the sort of the three pieces of distress that help us measure that's too much so this mother cries every time she sees a commercial. This mother cries every time she, she picks up her baby and looks at her baby. This mother cries. But this other mother cries, you know, all day long. Every time she's, she picks up the phone, every time she picks up the baby, it's been happening for weeks, she can't stop crying. People are helping her and supporting her. She can't stop crying. It's too much crying. Okay, so it's frequency, intensity, intensity, and duration. That is what equals how much distress is she having? Now, you know, when we talk about specific symptoms, I know, we'll, I know we're going to talk about scary thoughts, but, you know, sometimes, for example, scary thoughts are one piece. I don't know if you want to go into this now, Rebecca, or not. Uh, we'll,
1: but- we'll go into it after the break, so I'll just let you finish this thought, and then we'll take it okay. to a deeper level. Okay. Yeah.
2: Scary thoughts are, the, you know, the big part of anxiety. They are anxiety-driven, and they are, you know, one of the biggest reasons why moms come in and say, I can't function because I'm having these thoughts. So we'll talk about what they are and why they feel so bad and, and how common they are. But, but they are, now that we're starting to talk about it, um, it's both comforting moms and it's also giving moms information about... You know, what they've been experiencing in private or in silence and and not really getting a lot of endorsement for because, and it's a big, big symptom. Um,
1: Well, that's a a good plug for uh, tuning in after the break. Um, We'll talk about what the the scary thoughts are. We're talking today with Karen Kleinman, and her book is Good Moms Have Scary Thoughts, and we'll be back shortly. My co-host Oliver is a 7-pound chihuahua cross, and he sits through all my shows with great puppy patience. He was super happy when I came home with Carbona Pet Stain and Odor Remover, which is an oxy-powered formula with active foam technology and is engineered to permanently remove pet stains and odor. Carbona is a household brand that has turned their decades of cleaning expertise into products that get the job done fully, quickly, and easily. Although he tries his best, Oliver sometimes does have accidents. I pulled out the Carbona Pet Cleaner, and voila, we were stain-free and clean. It was easy to use, pet-safe, and hassle-free. The built-in 2-in-1 brush tackles stains at the surface and deep into the carpet fibers. It is now my other best friend. Use code FTTC at Carbona.com to save 20%. Happy cleaning! My co-host Oliver is a seven pound chihuahua cross and he sits through all my shows with great puppy patients. He was super happy when I came home with Carbona Pet Stain and Odor Remover, which is an oxy powered formula with active foam technology and it is engineered to permanently remove pet stains and odor. Carbona is a household brand, they've turned their decades of cleaning experience into products that get the job done fully, quickly and easily. Although he tries his best, Oliver sometimes does have accidents. I pulled out the Carbona Pet Cleaner, and voila, we were stain-free and clean. It was easy to use, pet-safe, and hassle-free. The built-in 2-in-1 brush top tackles stain at the surface and deep in the carpet fibers. It is now my other best friend. Use code FTTC at Carbona.com to save 20%. Happy cleaning! A stain-free clean home is something to be proud about, but it's hard to maintain when you're using cleaning products that don't work well or take forever to use. Q-Carbona, a household brand that has turned their decades of cleaning experience into products that get the job done fully, quickly, and easily. When I first heard about stain devils, my stain removing game was changed. Think about this, if you have a chocolate stain, it doesn't make sense to treat it with a formula that removes wine because they are chemically different. Knowing this, Carbona created specific stain removers for specific stain types. Genius, right? Beyond stain removers, they have highly efficient products for your laundry, carpets, and washing machine. My co-host Oliver, who is a Chihuahua cross, wants to remind you not to forget about the pet stain and odor remover. Want to start living your life unstained? shopcarbona.com with code F-T-T-C for 20% off your order. Happy cleaning!
0: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voiceamerica. Hi, everybody.
1: Welcome back. Today, we're talking with Karen Kleiman, and we're discussing her book, Good Moms Have Scary Thoughts. So, Karen, what are the scary thoughts?
2: So, scary thoughts are a word that we actually coined in in one of our books. Amy Wenzel and I wrote a book called Dropping the Baby and Other Scary Thoughts. they are we we hesitated to call them scary thoughts because it sort of felt like it was a little patronizing and a little cartoony, um, but in fact, the more we talked to moms who were experiencing, we sort of wanted to lighten it up a little bit because what they really are they're they're, they're basically the presence of negative, repetitive, unwanted, intrusive thoughts. They can they can bombard people at any time, out of nowhere. Um, she's no she's you know she may or may not have had a history of anxiety if she had a history of anxiety she's certainly more at risk to have these scary thoughts, and the thoughts are sort of come up on a continuum the, on the on this end one end of the continuum they are what we would call sort of normal new mother scary thoughts you know what if I drop the baby what if you know she slips in the bathtub what if I you know I forget to put a sweater on her and she gets sick and pretty much every scary thought starts with what if and then all the way through the continuum of, of what if you know somebody comes and steals her what if she dies in the middle of the night what if um, um, I'm, a, I'm a terrible mother and she hates me. And what? And then the other end of the continuum, I mean, you know, we don't want to trigger moms listening to this, but thoughts can be extraordinarily graphic and scary and violent, and, and I'm doing them. You know, I'm hurting her. The theme is almost always that harm comes to my baby, and the scarier the thought, the... The less accidental it is, I might be intentionally hurting. I walk by knives, and I think every time I pick up a knife, I'm, oh, my God, where's the baby? I'm going to hurt the baby. So it's extraordinarily distressing. How could I possibly think this? How could a good mother have these thoughts? Um, But let me start out by just saying it is so common It is so common that the research that's been done on this varies from anywhere from like 80% to almost 100. 91% is the research that... um, done by um, John Abramowitz who who I personally follow because he's done a lot of work with OCD and in, in the perinatal period and 91% of all mothers now that does not mean mothers who have been diagnosed with anxiety and depression this means all new mothers and 88% of all new fathers report negative intrusive thoughts after the birth of their baby this is almost everyone, you know and it, it's, it's so common, and yet you can imagine the stress is so high. It's not just thoughts. It can be images. It can be urges. And if you don't have the right information, or if your health care provider doesn't have the right information, we've certainly heard horror stories of women going to their health care provider and saying, I'm having these terrible, terrible thoughts of hurting my baby, um, you know, well, the fear is that they're going to take the baby away or they're going to put mom in the hospital, and that happens. And so this is why we want to really encourage health care providers to be trained. Not that every OBGYN gyn or, or general practitioner should be trained to do a psychiatric evaluation, but if a mom is not experiencing psychotic symptoms, we know for sure that intrusive thoughts are anxiety-driven. This is different than psychosis. So if the thoughts are anxiety-driven, it doesn't matter how bad they are. The only thing that's bad about scary thoughts is that they feel so bad to mom, and we want her to get some relief. Now, I just saw somebody a few days ago whose thoughts were so bad she thought for sure she needed to be in the hospital, for sure she needed to be separated from her baby. She did not want to spend any time with her baby because she was fearful that if she was alone with her baby, she could actually hurt the baby. And when she spent 45 minutes sitting with me hearing that she was okay, that what these thoughts were and what we needed to do about it to help get her some relief, she left feeling you know, substantially better. Her anxiety went from a from a 12 on a scale of 1 to 10, you know, from a 12 to a, to a 5. And she felt better because she had information and she wasn't torturing herself with, you know, ruminating thoughts of her spiraling down and I must be crazy and I must be mad and they're going to take my baby and I shouldn't have had the baby and I made a big mistake. And this is very, very common. And and quite honestly, not to throw the book in too fast, but I do not want to forget to say this: that my the most ex, my excitement about this book is that. All my other previous books were books about postpartum depression and they were for clinicians or they were for moms who were suffering. This book is to empower every single mother in case she's going to the wrong doctor, in case she doesn't have a supportive partner, in case she's getting the bad information on the internet. This information is for you to say, this is okay, this is not okay. You know, this is when you need to ask for help. This is when you don't need help, but here's what you need instead. You know, professional help, but here's what you need instead. So this little book, Good Moms Have Scary Thoughts, is a a tiny little, it's just a pocket of information for her so that she can take care of herself and not have to wait to get wrong information or to be misled by misinformed people.
1: So, um you talked to, about that um, some sometimes women are separated from their babies because they're, um, now does that happen just because the clinicians are misinformed or is there a situation that, that should um, people should just be aware of where the, the woman is having more than just anxiety?
2: Okay, well, okay, so what I, I was just referring to yeah. situations where people were misinformed. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah i mean i I've been doing this work for over thirty years and have never separated a baby from a mother. That doesn't mean there aren't situations that they that may warrant that I just haven't seen them um So I'm talking about perhaps healthcare providers who might be misinformed and believe that maybe Child Protective Services needs to be called. Often, you know, they they may call Child Protective Services, and, and Child Protective Services knows that everything's really okay and that, you know, that... Mm-hmm. The, the call was not warranted, but but it is one of the greatest fears. If moms had the list, why aren't they telling somebody how bad they feel or why aren't they telling somebody the nature of their scary thoughts, they're afraid that somebody's going to take their baby away or somebody's going to deem them an unfit mother. Um, if I said out loud that they have reason to fear that, you know, I, I, I'm afraid, to to, to literally say that out loud. But of course there are misinformed or uninformed um, professionals who could put... You know, could put them at risk, but we are, most of us are trying really, really hard, and education and advocacy, even legislation has just skyrocketed, you know, and our trainings have, have blossomed, you know, all across the, the country and the world because more clinicians are interested in doing this work. Um, many mothers, you know, who have experienced it are going back and getting their degree so that they could go back, and we, we've got lots of folks in our professional training classes of, you know, women who have experienced postpartum depression or anxiety, then went back and got their uh, master's or or PhD so that they can, you know, help other moms who felt that way because they perhaps didn't feel like they got the help that they needed, so it's pretty clear that there are certainly some diagnostic there are certainly some diagnostic nuances that can be um, that can trip people up even the best of us who think we know what we're doing you know often can see something and go hmm you know what mm-hmm. what is this and, and what do we need to do but some things are very clear for example baby blues occurs within, you know, from birth to two to three weeks postpartum when the hormones are adjusting. Um, and after three weeks, it's not the baby blues anymore. So when we see a, a mom who's four months postpartum and she goes to a health care provider and she says, I'm tired and I'm confused and I'm weepy all the time and I, I'm, I don't think I'm connecting to my baby very well and every time she cries, I start crying and I'm so anxious all the time and her doctor says, well, you have the blues you know go home and rest and sleep and and get some you know eat eat some good food and you'll feel better in a few days this is misinformation mm-hmm. and that's pretty easy that's pretty easy to me and I'm not you know yeah. <laughs> well, I, you know, if it's if
1: it's four months later, I mean, I can say uh, um, your book was very clear, baby blues are, are two to three weeks and, and past that, it is something else. And, you know, who wants to experience that for four months or a year, you know, the, the entire time that you're trying to bond with your baby, you've obviously tried to rest and you've obviously tried to do things for yourself. And, and you know, you want to step forward and, and get further help. And I think this is where um, I'm really happy that we have more information out there so that people know the difference and can get the help when they need it.
2: Right,
1: right. So um, when when somebody um, is thinking about reaching out, um, who should they contact? Who should they reach out to?
2: Well good question too. Also we um On our Instagram account, account, we always talk about find a safe person you know we say you are safe here find a safe person so um, and i think we have that in one of the pages of the book you know who do you feel like you can talk to and why and and who who why is this person safe uh, what does that mean well we certainly don't want to feel judged by somebody we certainly don't want to be misinformed we don't want to go to somebody who's misinformed we somebody that might be a safe person may not know the first thing about perinatal mood dis- and anxiety disorders but we feel safe with them because they love us and they and they they care about us, and they want us to be okay, and they're not going to judge us. So, we want to first find a safe person. That could be our partner. That could be our best friend. It could be our mother. It could be our doctor. It, you know, some place where I have something to tell you, and I, and you may or may not know what to do for me, but I need to tell you really how I feel. And what that means is, you know, the nature of my scary thoughts. Let me interrupt myself and say that if you're having thoughts of hurting yourself, if you're having suicidal thoughts, if feeling like getting through the day feels too impossible and you'd rather die, that's not anxiety driven. That's not okay. And you need to ASAP let a healthcare care provider know or get yourself to uh, an emergency room because we worry about moms who really believe that their baby would be better off without them because they're feeling so bad okay so that's a different uh level of a scary thought but so we would start with a safe person um and 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 we talk about full disclosure we talk about when we don't discuss how these the nature of these scary thoughts the anxiety and the and the suffering it gets bigger you know resistance creates persistence and if you pretend like it's not happening it gets bigger and inside our head our inner critic gets really loud and says oh my god if they really knew what you were thinking something really terrible would happen don't think these thoughts don't think these thoughts you know um mm-hmm. And so it, that we sort of empower them. So we want to find a safe place, a safe person, and say, I'm having these terrible thoughts and I need to tell you about it. And, and the next step would be to get yourself to a safe um, health care provider who understands, ideally, ideally it would be somebody who treats pregnant and postpartum women, um, it could be your family doctor, it could be your, your OB, it could be a psychiatrist, it could be a therapist, um, but somebody who understands that what the profile of postpartum mental health looks like and that your distress is high and you need to talk about it. Uh, some women feel better when they take medication, some women don't need medication, it depends on how much the distress is, is interfering. Mm-hmm. There, but I should emphasize Rebecca that that as scary as these thoughts are as 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 bleak and as despairing as they may make you feel, we I do want to emphasize that no matter how bad they are, there absolutely is no correlation between the, these scary thoughts and moms taking any action in response to these thoughts. And that's one of her biggest fears, is if I tell somebody, it makes it more real. What if I really do this? Or what if this really happens? And there is no evidence to support that. It's, it is, I'm going to say, just anxiety. That doesn't mean it's not terrible, and that doesn't mean it's not paralyzing. But it is not associated with anything bad happening.
1: Yeah, I think that that's important, especially when it's your own thought to know that, that you you know, you, what you're experiencing is something that um, most uh, moms do experience from the study that you quoted. And um, I think that can be really reassuring. A lot of people feel very isolated in their anxiety and uh, knowing that other people are going through something similar can be quite helpful because then there's somebody you can talk to and, and convene with.
2: Yeah, and what we and what we hope for is that once mom understands that, once she understands that that she's not going crazy, that that this is common, that it's anxiety driven, that it's okay. That's step number 1 to reassure her. And step number 2 is then to provide her with skills so that she can intervene. What do I do when I get these thoughts? How do I reduce them? How do I help myself feel better? And so um, therapy can help with that, you know books can help with that. M- medicine can help with that, but the, but the key is when this anxiety comes, what what do I need to do? And you know there are cognitive uh, ways to intervene and reassuring thoughts that you can give tell yourself. And you know we all think of, think about this. you know we all every human being. Because of who we are and how our brain works, we have scary thoughts all the time. And, um, I remember when I was, when, when my children were little, and, um, not little, when they were, littler than they are now, but when they were, for example, when my children started driving, um, And every time it snowed and every time it rained and and they're driving, I'm like, oh, my God. Do you have to go today? Do you have to drive? Can you just stay home in your bubble forever and ever and ever? And they'd get in the car and they'd be driving, oh, Mom, you know, and they'd slam the door and they'd drive off. And I invariably would get this, like, God, they're going over a cliff, you know? I could see it. I could see the snow and the cliff and the car. And then about... In a flash, I would go, whew, well, that's a scary, you know, stop it. Why would I want to stay there, right? So you turn, you pivot, you turn, you go do something else, you watch TV, you read a book, you call, you go to work, you do something so that you don't stay there because that was terrible. I just pictured them going off on a cliff, right? Mm -hmm. And so when you're healthy, you have the resources to help your brain get off of that, But when you're sleep deprived or when your anxiety is at an all time high or when you're, you know, when you're um, overwhelmed and distracted, you don't you don't always have the inner resources. And so you see these thoughts in your head and you're like, oh, my God. Look what's going to happen. They're going to go off a cliff. Oh, my God. And then you stay there, and it gets bigger, and you get more scared, and you believe in the power of these scary thoughts. So we want to empower mom and enable her with skills to help distract her brain and help her rename these and understand and identify them as anxiety and how to protect herself from how scary they feel.
1: Oh, perfect. Um, we're going to take a quick break. We're talking with Karen Kleiman, and we're discussing her book,
0: Good Moms Have Scary Thoughts, and we'll be back shortly. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN.
1: My co host, Oliver, is a seven pound Chihuahua cross, and he sits through all my shows with great puppy patience. He was super happy when I came home with Carbona Pet Stain and Odor Remover, which is an oxy-powered formula with active foam technology and is engineered to permanently remove pet stains and odor. Carbona is a household brand that has turned their decades of cleaning expertise into products that get the job done fully, quickly, and easily. Although he tries his best, Oliver sometimes does have accidents. I pulled out the Carbona Pet Cleaner and voila, we were stain-free and clean. It was easy to use, pet-safe, and hassle-free. The built-in two-in-one brush tackles stains at the surface and deep into the carpet fibers. It is now my other best friend. Use code FTTC at Carbona.com to save 20%. Happy cleaning. My co-host Oliver is a seven pound Chihuahua Cross and he sits through all my shows with great puppy patients. He was super happy when I came home with Carbona Pet Stain and Odor Remover which is an oxy powered formula with active foam technology and it is engineered to permanently remove pet stains and odor. Carbona is a household brand, they've turned their decades of cleaning experience into products that get the job done fully, quickly and easily. Although he tries his best, Oliver sometimes does have accidents. I pulled out the Carbona Pet Cleaner, and voila, we were stain-free and clean. It was easy to use, pet-safe, and hassle-free. The built-in 2-in-1 brush top tackles stain at the surface and deep in the carpet fibers. It is now my other best friend. Use code FTTC at Carbona.com to save 20%. Happy cleaning! A stain-free clean home is something to be proud about, but it's hard to maintain when you're using cleaning products that don't work well or take forever to use. Q-Carbona, a household brand that has turned their decades of cleaning experience into products that get the job done fully, quickly, and easily. When I first heard about stain devils, my stain removing game was changed. Think about this, if you have a chocolate stain, it doesn't make sense. To treat it with a formula that removes wine because they are chemically different. Knowing this, Carbona created specific stain removers for specific stain types. Genius, right? Beyond stain removers, they have highly efficient products for your laundry, carpets, and washing machine. My co-host Oliver, who is a Chihuahua Cross, wants to remind you not to forget about the pet stain and odor remover. Want to start living your life unstained? shopcarbona.com with code F-T-T-C for 20% off your order. Happy cleaning!
0: Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voiceamerica. Hi, everybody. Welcome
1: back to Following Through the Cracks. Today, we're talking with Karen Kleiman, and we're discussing her book, Good Moms Have Scary Thoughts. So Karen, um, now, just because it is difficult for women to um, reach out for help, or sometimes I think even recognize that, that what they're experiencing might not be, um, you know, normal or, or comfortable, what can their partner or somebody around them look for as a sign that something's not quite Right.
2: Mm. Um, wow. So, good question, because moms are really, really good at pretending like they're fine. And, and, you know, they have a reputation in our business, you know, and when I'm training, I'm always telling clinicians, don't be fooled by how good she looks. Um, postpartum women especially are, are, are just unbelievably good at making sure everything is in place we understand this is it's sort of their reaction to feeling out of control so they want to be in control and so they they look good and they present well and they come in and they're like you know i'm good or or their or their the way they look belies you know what they're saying and so they can fool the best of us they can, wow, she looks really healthy. She sounds really healthy, you know. So if she, i got to tell you, I, there's no other way to say it. If she can fool me, she can fool her partner. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, and so she, she's so afraid. I'm exaggerating. I'm generalizing here. But so many moms are so afraid that if they let it down, if they let it go, if they ask for help, if they talk about it, they'll lose control. They'll just curl up, crumble, and and not be able to do this. And so they hold it together as best they can. And their partner says, "Are you okay?" And she says, "Yep." You know. And he says, "Do you He or she says, "Do you need anything?" And she says, "Nope." One of our one of our very first cartoons that went viral was exactly that. He said, "You know," the partner said, "Do you need anything?" And she said, "Nope." And then in her thought bubble, she went down and down. Okay, I could use this and this and this and this and this and this and this, and this but we're not saying it and it's not necessarily because caring people aren't asking. So it goes both ways again. Number 1, we want to we want to educate and empower partners to know what to ask and how to ask it. And number 2, we want to empower mom to say you need to tell your partner when they ask you what is it that you want and need. And if you don't know, figure it out because they're there to help you. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So if we go back just to the partner, you know, one of my uh, older books called The Postpartum Husband is written in little, pay, in little bullets. You know, if you say this, she's not going to believe you. If you, know, if you tell her she's a good mom, she's not going to think, you know, she's going to think you're lying to her. If you tell her she's pretty, she's going to think you're saying that just to make her feel good. If you tell her, that, like, you know, so partners have their work cut out for them. Because women are resistant and they're, and they're suffering. And so the message to partners is even if you don't think she's struggling, make sure you ask if she's okay. Even if she looks good, make sure you ask if she's okay. And if she says yes, look her in the eyes and ask her again. Mm. And 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 let her know that you're there if she needs anything and that you're strong, you know, you're strong enough for the two of you right now. And she'll come back. She'll come back. But give her a safe place to be able to say, I've never felt so bad in my life. Just in case, just in case, just in case she's feeling that way. You know, let her know that, that you don't need her to be strong all the time. Because partners often, especially male partners, will often, often think they're helping by saying, you can do this, babe, you can be strong, I know how strong you are. Well, Mm -hmm. that's not helpful if she feels like she wants to crumble and die, you know?
1: Right. So um, you you brought up social media a little bit there and I'm, I'm wondering um, what impact that is having on postpartum women. Um, is that helping the situation or is that maybe putting stress, more stress on them? I mean, I can see that there is a lot of comparison in our society. So do you look at the woman next to you and think, oh, well, she's doing okay. Why don't I, you know, that kind of thing. Is that happening a lot?
2: Yeah. Yes to everything you just said. It's it's helping, it's helping her. It's supporting her. It's stressing her. It's making her compare herself. it's, it's, It's increasing her anxiety. It's decreasing her isolation. It's doing all of that. It's doing all of that. Um, I, the, the biggest upside is that it is giving her a safe place to go and express herself and find, like you said, like-minded women who who can support her. That's amazing at her fingertips at two in the morning. It's amazing. The downside is it is giving her. Uh, um, I was just gonna. I was just gonna. Curse right here in the middle of this thing is giving her a whole lot of exposure to information that she doesn't need, to, you know, again, comparisons that she doesn't need. Her What little anxiety she has now has full-blown, you know, sort of an OCD-ish nature. What about this? What about this? What about this? She can't turn it off. Um, it's hard to decipher what information is going to be helpful to one particular woman and what information is going to not be helpful. So, again, let me remind you, you're talking to an older person who did this for a long time without social media. So we say to anybody who's having too much anxiety, who's overly stressed, who is not functioning very well, stay off the Internet, stay off of social media until you feel well well enough um, and resilient so that you can make those determinations of where you want to go for support and where you don't want to go for support. If you're if you're too vulnerable and um, too raw, you will not be able to make those determinations. And I promise it will make you feel worse before it makes you feel better. So be very. I, I do have big cautions about social media and the internet.
0: Hmm.
1: Um. So when. Um when a woman is is seeing this get better, what's, what what sort like what's the process when her anxiety is overwhelming and she's starting to um, seek help? How quickly does it get better, and what happens?
2: Um, well, like I said, you know, I, I just experienced this the other day where somebody just left, you know, left my office feeling better, literally because she felt validated because there was a word for what she was feeling because um, she was with a professional who did not judge her and who said that she would be okay and and helped her come up with a plan and she didn't have to do this by herself. So anxiety, you know, the downside to anxiety is that it can spiral very quickly and and turn into um, truly incapacitating symptoms where mom can't function. The upside to it is it also responds very well to to an intervention, you know, to the reassurance and endorsement from somebody who knows what's going on. The anxiety can can remit fairly quickly. Um, it also does respond to more serious intervention like medication and, and, and ongoing therapy. And like I said before, skills, learning cognitive skills. What do I do when I have these negative thoughts and how can I reframe them so that they don't scare me so much? Um, but look, let's be honest though. Having a baby creates anxiety in in both parents for a lifetime, and so we're not taking we're not talking about making the anxiety go away. We're talking about accepting and understanding that it is now part of your life, and um, there are ways for you to function through the anxiety and learn how to live with it, so that so that um, it doesn't interfere with your life, but that you learn how to manage the anxiety and, and, and feel good. Feeling good and anxious, like we always say, you can be anxious, but you can learn to be anxious better.
1: Mm. I like that. Uh, you know, because it, it, this is going to be normal. And just like you said, when your kids were driving, you were anxious. So it's part of being a mom to worry about your kids. It's just finding, um, doing it better and um, dealing with it if it's, well, in general, dealing with it. But also um, if it's over the top and, and causing issues in your life. hmm So when, when someone is... Um, um, getting through this and having a baby how can they reestablish um, with a baby and maybe another child as well reestablish a relationship with their partner and, and you know openness about everything that's going on
2: mm. so you know having a baby is hard on a marriage um, and ironically sometimes some of the better marriages the strongest marriages are the ones that have the biggest um, upheaval because they're the ones that sort of get cast aside, you know. Because m- my partner isn't going anywhere, and I need to take care of this. I need to take care of this, this, and this, and the other thing. And so, you do that long enough, and all of a sudden you turn around and you're like, "Where are we? Where are we? Where are you? I miss you." There's so much focus on the baby and the toddler and and the house and and the logistics and the and sort of the uh, the chaos of what's going on that we lose side of each other there's tons of research that tells us that that everything is better when the marriage feels good, and that if she, if mom has postpartum depression or anxiety, or if dad has postpartum anxiety, depression or anxiety, it will recovery will be significantly smoother and faster if the relationship is if if that if the partners feel satisfied in the relationship, if they feel supported in the relationship, and so what, what the what the re, what's interesting about this research is it's not just that they are supported, it's that they perceive they are supported. So there are lots of husbands who go, you know, like, I support her, you know, I mean, I support her financially and I tell her to go, you know, I pay for all her therapy and I tell her, you know, she's doing a great job and I make dinner twice a week and and they are, they're doing all these things. If she doesn't feel supported by him because every time she says, honey, I need you to sit here with me, he says, I'm, you know, like, I'm busy. If she doesn't feel supported no matter what he's doing to help her, her her anxiety and depression is going to you know take longer to heal. And so we do spend a lot of time when we're when we're treating moms um, talking about the relationship and and what do we need to do to sort of facilitate you know that connection so that they both are taking care of each other in addition to the baby?
1: Um, which, which is important, you know, I, I think that, uh, well, having children completely changes everything. Um, you've got this other human being in your home. So even when you get past the um, not sleeping part, um, they're still going to be there. So there there is, you know, communication and talking about what's going on so that you can both feel comfortable with everything.
2: Right. Right. What, which part of this interests you the most? Like, what, what, what? I want to sort of address a question about the about the the parents and the, and the couple that that is.
1: Well, I just think that it's important to ha- for us to have the conversation and for them to have the conversation, I guess, about what's happening so that um, they can, yeah. you know, a lot of people don't do that. They just go along with their relationship thinking right. that this is, you know, our normal instead of sitting down and talking about this is what I need and this is, you know, what do yeah. you need?
2: Yeah, and it can be, that's, I mean, it's an excellent point. It could be as simple as sometimes we'll tell couples five minutes a day for you, for the two of you, five minutes a day. You know, I don't care if the kids are playing or the kids are sleeping or the kids are at your feet, but five minutes where it's you and me. How are you doing? What do you need? What can I do? You know, the, the. The paradoxical piece of taking care of the marriage is you know, everybody becomes very self-absorbed. What I need, well, I'm tired, I've I'm, been with the kids all day, I've been at work all day, I need you to listen, I need you to make dinner, I need you to... But the best way for you to feel better is to take care of your partner. Your partner will then be in a better position to take care of you. And so if we spend five minutes a day listening to what does the other person need, for me, um, it, it, it will go very far, and, you're, and you're, you're very right about that, taking time to do that. Uh, listen, i got to tell you, two minutes a day would be, uh, uh, 30 seconds a day <laughs> would be more than, than a lot of people are, are already doing.
1: Wow. It's hard. I it's definitely really hard
2: agree. Now, if
1: somebody um, wants more information, um, how can they get a hold of you or your book or, or find anything they need?
2: So the Postpartum Stress Center is on the internet at at, uh, postpartumstress.com. We are on Facebook. um, as Postpartum Stress Center. There is a closed support group as part of our Facebook. If somebody DMs us their um, um, email, we will send them an invite. So that's a private anonymous support group. That's on Facebook. On Twitter, we're at Postpartum Stress. The biggest support that we have uh, available on social media is through our Instagram account at the Postpartum Stress Center, where we do focus primarily on scary thoughts and um, the high anxiety and distress associated with parenthood, but there's a little bit of everything on there also. Um, but that's that seems to be the... Biggest draw for for social media, and they can um, and the and the book Good Moms Have Scary Thoughts, which is highlighted in our social media. But again, it sounds like self promotion. And I have been known to shamelessly promote myself, but this is really, really, really about giving moms access to accurate information, certainly validating her scary thoughts, but more importantly to me is giving her information and resources so that she can make sure she's on the path to recovery and, and healing. Um, and and help her have information to determine what does she need to worry about and what does she not need to worry about.
1: Well, perfect. I want to thank you so much for joining me today.
2: Rebecca, thank you so much for highlighting this. It's so important and I'm I really, really appreciate it.
1: Oh, perfect. Um, I want to thank everybody for listening. If you want more information about my story and what I went through my journey back to health, you can find that on my website at dr-risk.com. Don't forget to follow me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Thanks so much for listening and be sure to make today a great day.